Welcome to Funny Because It's True, true stories told by funny people. My name is Kevin McGean, and I'll be your host. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show, and this podcast is a mixed bag of some of the best ones. The theme of this show is Clash, two stories of unfortunate confrontations. One that takes place in a back alley with a gun, the other takes place in a grocery store with the exchange of harsh words. Our two storytellers on this episode are Jameson Scala and myself, Kevin McGeehan, who self-indulgently told my story in two parts that night. So this is part one of The Mugging. I tell my story tonight in two parts. And part one begins with, um, as the man shoved the gun into my side and forced me into a darkened part of the courtyard... Something came over me that I had never felt before, and strangely enough, I had high hopes that the evening was going to turn out all right. Backing up, when I was a kid, I always had this fantasy that whenever, uh, when I was an adult, that when faced with danger, I would react like Indiana Jones, like brave, cunning, and maybe a cool, self-aware quip. Uh, but that fantasy was dashed in my mid-twenties when, uh, when I first moved to Chicago. I had a roommate that decided that he was going to play a prank on me. So one cold, snowy Chicago night, I walked up my very dark street and entered my dark foyer that had no light bulb that had been burned out for a while. And as I fumbled with my keys, my roommate jumped out of a black corner and screamed basically just boo. My reaction was neither cunning nor brave. It was quick, loud, awkward, and very disappointing. Uh, my hands started shaking, and then my knees started shaking, and then a little girl uh, that I'm going to name Tori with an I uh, took over my body <laughs> and screamed a blood-curdling scream for a full two count. I recognized my roommate's laugh. And terror turned to relief, which then turned to pissed-offedness. Not a word. I was pissed at my roommate, sure. It was a dick move. It was a dick move to scare me. He knew it, and he reveled in it. But I was so pissed that I found out that now this is how I subconsciously react to unknown danger. Like a little girl named Tori with an eye. So many years later... I am still living in Chicago, and I'm living in a brand new park, a place called Rogers Park. And Rogers Park's claim to fame is that every other street is different. This street's safe and beautiful and pristine. This safe, this one has police cars going up and down it all the time. And it varied street to street, and I lived on a safe street. At the time, I was working for Second City, and I'd just come back from a two-week tour. So I had a bunch of luggage with me, and it was 4 a.m. So uh, I was in the cab. And I had the cab drop me off the intersection. And as I was getting out, I paid him, put my wallet into my backpack, and then got out of the car and he drove away. At that point, I realized, oh, damn it. I just have my back door keys. If only I had remembered that, he could have brought me to the alley and dropped me off in front of the back gate. Oh, well, no biggie. What could possibly go wrong? I walk about 20 feet carrying my luggage and then across the street, right as I'm about to hit the lip of the alley, a car on the other side stops abruptly and just sits there. I'm standing there with my bags and we're both just looking at each other. This happens for a couple of seconds and then suddenly he guns it and whips into the alley that I'm walking towards and then disappears behind a building. 
I'm now faced with a choice, and my spider sense is tingling. I could walk around front and buzz my female roommate and see if I could wake her up, but our intercom was broken, and there's no way in hell she was going to uh, buzz up an anonymous stranger at 4 a.m. Plus, on a side note, this was also my ex-live-in girlfriend who broke up with me a month prior and was still living there for two more weeks, I felt I had already pissed her off enough. So my only choice was to go around back. So best case scenario, this was, well, let me jump ahead. I walk around to the building and I put my back up against it and I look down and I see that the car is about 20 feet away from the gate which is equidistant from where I am in regards to the gate. Bless you. Then I look down and I see him. Best case scenario, this is a sexual liaison between a prostitute and a John, and this is where they chose to have their location. Worst case scenario, this car went fishing for a mark, got one on the line, and was now waiting to reel them in. Please be a back alley blowjob, I thought to myself. But I knew that was not the case. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt these guys were waiting for me. So I accepted what I had to do, which was to see if I could get in there quicker than they could get to me. So I tightened my backpack. I grabbed my luggage. I take a deep breath, and I sprint as fast as a guy carrying 65 pounds can. And I get to the the gate and I try to get my key in but it's one of those old ones where it doesn't engage unless you hit that sweet spot so I'm just sitting there trying to jiggle it and get it I'm not even looking over at the car because I don't even want to see what's happening and then I finally get it open and I lost about five seconds in this I get it open I throw my bags inside and I jump inside and I hear footsteps fast approaching on the left and I jump inside and I close the gate and right as it's about to close a hand grabs it shoves it open puts a gun in my side and our transaction begins but I didn't scream I reacted completely different. And if you are curious as to how I reacted, I'll tell you in part two. Next up is Jameson Scala, who tells a story of a grocery store line clash that he had that proves once again the old adage, no good deed goes unpunished. I moved to Los Angeles six years ago. And, uh, I'm speaking of being pacifist. I'm a pacifist. I don't really like, uh, I don't really like, I, I don't fight. I'm a tiny man, as you can see. So I don't really think I would fare well in a fight. So I just kind of let people do their things. But as I'm getting older, I'm almost 30 now. And as I'm getting older, I see, uh, myself getting more, uh, confident with strangers. I'm confident with my friends and that type of thing. But with strangers, I'm always like, whatever you do your thing, I do my thing. So um, I'm, at, I'm at Rock and Roll Ralph's on Sunset and just food shopping during the day. And uh, it's me. And then there's a gentleman putting his things on the belt. And then there's another gentleman checking out. So the guy checking out is uh, like the woman's like deet de deet whatever she does her job. And he looks over at the man in between uh, me and him. And he says to the guy, Yo, what are you doing? Everybody knows that when you put things on the belt, you put a divider in between orders. And everyone's looking around, and it's really awkward, and I'm thinking to myself, like, just be quiet, just buy your baby powder and get out of here. Like, you know, like, do your thing. You're not Gandhi. You don't have to change the world today. 
So I'm like, just, just there, just waiting. And, but the man doesn't say a word. He kind of like puts his head down a little, like he doesn't really understand what's going on. And, um, he was like a little bit older too. And I was like, ah, oh, this, this really sucks. It's just really disappointing. But I was like, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to wait here in silence. So the woman continues to check the guy out and he looks over at the guy in between us. And again, he goes, or he says this time, he goes, what the fuck is your problem? Why don't you go back to the country you came from? And I was like, oh no, I have to say something. Like, I was like, this is it. This is my moment. Lights are on me. I'm going to do my good deed. I am going to win today. America, I am fighting for you today. So, uh, so I, cause I just was like, oh, this man, you know, he's in America. You know, everyone, anyone can be in America and he should do his thing. So I like finally muster the courage. P.S. I am shaking inside. And if it wasn't, if, he, if, the, if this guy was quiet, I wouldn't have said anything, but everyone's looking and they're like just all kind of like awkwardly looking at each other. So I like rehearse it very quickly in my head and I take a step forward and I say, excuse me. Just P.S. This man is like twice my age and twice my size. So I say, excuse me, just because this man is from another country does not mean he can't food shop wherever he wants to. Okay? Like, dun, 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 dun. So the guy comes up in my face. So he passes the other guy, comes up in my face, and he goes, why don't you chill the fuck out? That's my friend and I'm just fucking around with him. So I look at the guy who's silent up till now and he looks up and he's like, yeah, that's my friend. We're just joking around. And I was like, oh my God. No. So I am just so embarrassed and I'm like about this big at this moment. Then he starts to get pissed off. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I was just trying to do the right thing. And he goes, well, why don't you get out of my face before I do the right thing to your face? And the guy, the, the guy who I think is a partner gets in between us and breaks us up. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. What am I going to do? I cannot fight this man. So I just like step back with my baby powder. <laughs> And I just wait. Of course, these men have the hugest orders ever in the world known to mankind at Rouse. And just checking out for what feels like three hours. And I'm like, it'll be over. It'll be a funny story one day. It'll be over soon. It'll be a funny story one day. Like, I'm just really trying to, like, go over the mantra in my mind. So it, t it takes forever. Like, it take, in real life, it probably takes about five minutes. But five really awkward minutes. And they leave together and I'm just like, oh God. So I get out, I get up and the woman's checking me out and she's like, um, I just want to let you know you did a really good deed by doing that. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I thought so too, but it really backfired like real, <laughs> real bad. So my order, I mean, I was only getting a couple items, took like less than a minute. And I was like, I have to go into the parking lot. And I was like, you know what, Jameson? You're a confident man. You can do it. You can do it. So I like step out of Rouse and I just walk through the parking lot like this. <laughs> and 
And then I run into my car and then I was like, no good deed goes unpunished, which is not something I really believe. I think you do good things and good things happen. But that day I got my ass whooped by that man. No good deed goes unpunished. Lesson to everyone. Next up is part two of my story, The Mugging. Part two. Our transaction began very trite and unimaginative when he said, give me your fucking money. Now, something came over me. Like I said, I felt different because I didn't scream. And there's a difference between fear and fright. When I was startled and frightened by the boo, I reacted a certain way, like a little girl named Tori with an I. But now I was beyond frightened. I already knew this was happening. I had walked into it. I had already accepted my fate. So this was now fear, which was overpowered by survival. And with that came adrenaline and acute focus. Give me your fucking money, he repeated. And I looked right at him and I just stood my ground. And I said, I don't have my wallet on me. And he looked at me and I pointed at my bag and said, it's in my bag. And he said, give me your fucking money. And he put the... He re-aimed it now that it's at my chest, and I said, it's in my bag. If you let me go to it, I will give you the money. And he looks at me, and we stare at each other. I had a short little stare down, and the joke I used to make when I was uh, trying to get over the trauma of this, I used to joke that we both looked at each other and realized we both worked out, and there was, a, there was an acknowledgement of, hey, man, good job. Um, so after our silent acknowledgement, um, he said, fine, get it. So I walked over, and without breaking eye contact, I just kept looking at him. I got on my knees. I unzipped the bag, pulled out my wallet, pulled out the $34 remaining of my per diem, and I handed it to him. He took it, shoved it in his pocket, didn't ask for the wallet, so I just put it right in my back pocket. There's no need to deal with that. And then he would said, all right, lie face first on the ground. Now, this seemed like a bad idea for numerous reasons. One of them being, I, ne- I didn't want my death to be forever known as execution style. <laughs> so I don't know where this came from, but I just looked at him and said, no, I'm not. He's thrown, what? Lie on the fucking ground. I don't know where this came from. Would you? If you were in my position, would you? And he didn't say anything, and I said, I'll compromise with you. I will stay on my knees, and I will not move until you're gone. And he looked, and once again, sized up how we both worked out. (laughs) And then he left, and he walked out the way he came. And I sat there, and to no one in particular, I said in a loud whisper, pleasure doing business with you. As promised, I sat there and did not move until he pulled away, and I heard the car go, and then I moved, and I got up, and I was energized. I was invigorated. I was invincible. I was cunning. I was brave, and I said a cool, self-aware quip at the end, (laughs) just like Indiana fucking Jones. I walked upstairs to our second floor apartment, still energized, feeling the adrenaline just 
bursting through me. I get in and I walk into our kitchen and I see the familiarity and the safety of the kitchen and the adrenaline quickly loses its effects. And I start to replay the last few moments in my head. Did I really just stand up to a guy with a gun? Did I just tell him, no, I'm not going to do what he wants of me? Uh, what are you, insane? And who were you talking to at the end? Camera A? What, what were you... D- <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, my God. And then suddenly I started picturing him shooting me and what that would have been like. And just, I just became overwhelmed with fear. My body started to shake and my knees started to shake. And then suddenly this little girl who had lain dormant for so many years... Tori with an eye reemerged and started to scream a blood curdling scream for once again another full two count. My now ex live in girlfriend hears me and she walks into the kitchen knowing that something is wrong and she sees her ex boyfriend on the kitchen floor shaking and wailing like a little girl. So long, Indiana Jones. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to Jameson Scala, Mark Warzeka, Josh Callahan, Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. If you'd ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at the Second City Hollywood, located on beautiful and mildly scary Hollywood Boulevard. It is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. The next one is January 17th, and the theme will be prom. So come out, sign your name up, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a story, and from there, maybe you'll get chosen to be on the podcast. Thanks for listening. For more funny stuff for your eyes and ears, go to ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.